My name is Nathan Edwards, and uh, as Kent mentioned, we uh, have a relationship and that he took care of our church when we were in a time of crisis, and he called that a privilege. Um, makes him kind of different, but uh, it was a very difficult time, and I want to say from my church, Gashon Presbyterian in Kansas City, uh, to all of you, thank you so much for sharing your pastor with us, because without him, uh, I think we would have been in a much worse shape. So thank you very much, Kent, for your help in that time. Today we are going to be looking at one of these small little letters that shows up in the New Testament. Uh, Kent said that I am uh, getting a, a doctorate right now, <clears throat> a doctorate in Old Testament, so it does me no good for this sermon today. I'm throwing money away, essentially. But uh, uh, I do want to preach a message from the New Testament, uh, from the book of Philemon, which if you have a pew Bible, it's on uh, page 1858, and I will read it in just a second. A little bit about myself. Um, as you already know, I'm a doctorate student, but I also am here with my wife, Becky, and uh, we have three children, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and our newest, our daughter, is three months old. So uh, they're all here today, and uh, after this, I'm going to be taking them to Denver. So you can add that I'm a little bit of a nut to the list of other attributes about me. Well, let's look at this letter uh, from Paul. Uh, the epistle to Philemon, and I'm just going to read some sections to get the gist of the, of the letter. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Therefore, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other, it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ." Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we are here uh, to worship you, to hear from you. We thank you this morning for your word, which is living and active, which is timeless which is relevant for us today and tomorrow. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just open our hearts and our minds and let this message be heard. Father, let us hear from you. 
Let us uh, not just hear the word, but become doers of the word. Teach us, Father, because we want to know your truth. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, today, uh, speaking on the book of Philemon, I'm going to be talking on the subject of reconciliation. So let me ask you just from the beginning, how many of you are in a personal conflict right now? How many of you maybe are in a, a strained relationship with a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, maybe somebody in this church, maybe your spouse? Are any of you in a broken relationship? Is there somebody in this world that you just don't want to talk to anymore? Or somebody in this world that doesn't want to talk to you anymore? Is there somebody, if I mentioned their name, your mind would become very negative, very angry, perhaps bitter at the thought of that person? Is everybody on board? I'm, I'm in that camp who has really hurt us. And the desire to reconcile may be the furthest thing from our mind. We may want to react to that in a similar fashion to this man in this story that I heard from a police friend who told me that he was chasing a speeder down one day, and instead of that speeder slowing down and taking his ticket like a responsible citizen, he decided to speed up. And he was going 75, 80, 85, getting close to 100 miles per hour before suddenly he slows down, stops his car, and the police officer comes up to the, to the window, and the man rolls down his window, and he's kind of sheepish, and the officer says, can you give me a reason for why you would run from this police officer? And the guy very sheepishly looked up at him, and he says, well, about six weeks ago, my wife ran away with a police officer. And when I saw you in my rearview mirror, I was afraid you were that officer trying to give her back to me. It's a funny story, but can you relate to that man? Can you relate to the idea that you would rather keep the separation than reconciliation for some people? I, that's very sympathetic, yet the scriptures tell us that we are to be reconcilers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. According to Jesus, those who are the children of God have as a mark of their character peacemaking and reconciliation. But how are we to be peacemakers? What is our role in reconciliation? How does the gospel make us reconcilers? Those are the questions we want to answer today. And that's what we are going to learn as we look at this letter from Philemon. Now let me summarize the situation in the book for you. There are three characters. We have a person named Onesimus who is a slave that ran away. He is the wrongdoer. He was the slave of Philemon, and they were in a town called Colossae. And Onesimus just got fed up. He stole some of his master's money, and he got out of town. And he got out of town in a big way. He ran all the way to Rome, which is the same distance as Kansas City is to Los Angeles. And he didn't have a plane. He had maybe a donkey or a boat. So he really is booking it. Now, he runs into Paul, who is in prison awaiting his trial uh, before Caesar to see if he is guilty of disrupting the peace of the Roman Empire. Now, Paul uh, turns Onesimus into a Christian. He shares the gospel. Onesimus becomes a Christian. And the uh, amazing thing about Paul is he happens to be really good friends with Philemon, Onesimus's master. So we have Paul in the middle of Onesimus, the wrongdoer, and Philemon, the person that has been wronged. 
and he is seeking through this letter to bring about reconciliation. The theme of Philemon, then, is reconciliation in Christ, and the key verse in the book is verse 5, where Paul speaks of Philemon. I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. In this verse, uh, we are being told that our relationship with Christ and our relationship with one another are intimately connected. When we have a vertical relationship of peace with God, we are expected to also have a horizontal relationship of peace with one another. And so the key phrase in this book, the key motivation in this book, is found in verse 9 in that little clause, on the basis of love. Now that is speaking of Philemon, but it is the ethic that informs everybody's actions in this book. Because it is the ethic of love which the gospel fills in our hearts that tells us we are no longer uh, allowed to be enemies, rather we are brothers and sisters through the gospel. So how does the love of, 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 uh, of the gospel help us to reconcile our conflicts with one another? That is what Philemon is going to show us today. And we're going to find that out looking at the three perspectives of the main characters. We're going to look at the perspective of Onesimus, who is the wrongdoer, and what is his role in reconciliation. We are going to look at the role of Paul, who is caught in between, and see what his role is in reconciliation. And then we are going to look at Philemon and his perspective as the person that is wronged, and what is his role in reconciliation. So let's uh, look at the text, and first we'll start with the story of Onesimus, as we see in this letter three transformations the gospel brings about in us to make us peacemakers. First, the story of Onesimus, who is the wrongdoer. Through the story of Onesimus, we see that the gospel transforms us from those who run from our wrongdoing to those who repent and apologize for it. Now, the situation with Onesimus is quite serious. As a runaway slave in the Roman Empire, he is guilty. He has no rights and everybody in the Roman Empire is obligated to capture a runaway slave and return him to his master for punishment. And that punishment can be very severe, from a, a harsh beating to death itself. So Onesimus is on the run, hiding in the margins of society, and he could be caught at any moment and be brought into judgment of the most severe kind. Now, as we look at the epistle of Philemon here in 2014, it is uh, important for us to recognize uh, a little bit about, about the issue of slavery, because I think our heart is probably inclined to be against the slave owner and for the runaway slave, and, and I understand that. But I want you to understand that in this book, Paul is not discussing the issue of slavery. Rather, he is dealing with the more immediate concern of how to reconcile Onesimus, who is in great danger for his life, to Philemon, his master. So the morality of the institution of slavery is not the issue in this book. It would not be the place for Paul to deal with it. But if you read the book carefully, you will see that Paul is no sympathizer with slavery, for his argument essentially sows the seeds that will take slavery down. For he tells Philemon that you can no longer relate to Onesimus as slave owner and slave, but as brother and brother. And in that environment, slavery cannot survive. So there is a subtle argument against slavery in this book that the gospel brings about. And second, as we look at these characters, we must take the evidence of the book and use that to make our judgments. Very clearly, Paul says, Onesimus is the one who is wronged, and Philemon is the one who has been wronged. 
and we need to take it at that level. So Onesimus is running, he's hiding. If he is caught by anybody, he could be thrown back to uh, uh, his uh, owner and be punished most severely. And yet, what is the miraculous thing that happens? Who in the whole Roman Empire could he possibly run into that might change his fortune? The Apostle Paul. He runs into the Apostle Paul, and Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus. And what is the gospel for runaway slaves? It's this. If you keep running you'll be caught by the judge, and you'll pay most severely for all the wrong you have done. You are a sinner in God's eyes, and if you do not repent, you will be caught and judged. But the good news to Onesimus and the good news to us is that God has sent his son to die in our place, to endure the penalty that our sin deserves, so that the message of the gospel is, do not run any longer. Stop, repent, and say, forgive me, I am a sinner. And at the moment that you do that, you go from being a fugitive, a scoundrel, somebody about to be caught in judgment, and you become a child of God. You become somebody with full rights in the household of God, with a full inheritance of heaven and eternal life. You go from being a nobody to being somebody in God's eyes who he dearly loves. What an amazing message that Onesimus has heard. And that's the same message that is given to us. We stop running and we repent and we receive forgiveness and eternal life and fellowship with our Father. So now that Onesimus has been saved, what does he have to do? What does Onesimus need to do now that he has been saved? He has to go back to Philemon. Paul says, you need to go back and make it right with Philemon. Now, that's a very scary idea. Because he is going back to Philemon without Philemon knowing anything. He is still that scoundrel Onesimus when he gets to Philemon's door. So Onesimus is going to go all the way back from Rome to Colossae with a letter from Paul that doesn't command Philemon to do anything. It merely says, you should forgive, but it doesn't command. And Onesimus is going back. He could be handing himself over to judgment. He could be handing himself over to a severe punishment. My question to you, would you go back? Would you go back to apologize to Philemon if you didn't know what was going to happen? You might still pay for the consequences of all that you have done. There's no guarantee. Why then does Onesimus go back? He goes back because the gospel transforms us from those who run from their wrongdoing to those who repent and apologize for it. And it does that in two ways. The gospel shows us the cost of our sin. When we look at the cross, we see that our sin was incredibly costly. It was incredibly damaging to our relationship with God. And if the cross had not happened, then we could have no relationship. So the gospel convicts us of our sin, makes us grief-stricken at our sin, and we recognize that it is not just between Christ, between us and God that our sin is hurt, it has hurt others. And so as the gospel convicts us of our sin, we recognize we can't run. 
And the second thing that the gospel shows us is running won't work. The only hope of reconciliation, the only hope of peace and forgiveness is if you stop and you return. You must repent. The gospel teaches us that life is given to those who repent. Forgiveness is given to those who repent. And so unless we repent, we cannot have peace. We continue as a fugitive. So Onesimus, recognizing this truth about the gospel, is now going back to Philemon. He is going back to say, I'm sorry. What sort of an apology does Onesimus need to give? The apology must be on the basis of love. And that means when we are the wrongdoer, we need to apologize on the basis of love, which has two characteristics that we can see in this letter. First, it is an apology that desires reconciliation. It is not the apology of a three-year-old who says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. That's not the apology. The apology is, I know I was wrong. I know I hurt you. It is personal and sincere, and it is an apology that desires the relationship to be back, not just to say sorry because you got to say sorry. You want reconciliation. You want restoration because what hurts you most is that the relationship is broken. And the second thing that an apology on the basis of love must contain, it must accept responsibility. Onesimus is not going back to Philemon with a list of exceptions. He is not going with a, you did this to me and that's why I did that. He is going back saying, I'm sorry, I wronged you. I stole your money, I deserted your service, and I gave you lousy work on top of it. I was wrong. Forgive me. See, an apology on the basis of love humbles itself shows the gospel by being honest about our sin and desires reconciliation. So my question as we leave the story of Onesimus for you is, where in your life are you Onesimus? Where do you need to say, I'm sorry? Where has a relationship gone cold because you have continued to run from your wrongs? Who are you not talking to anymore? Who's avoiding you? Search your heart. Do you need to say, I'm sorry? So now let's look at the story of Paul. In the story of Paul, we see that the gospel transforms us from conflict avoiders to conflict mediators. Now, Paul is in a, a very sticky situation. And we're always in a sticky situation when we're called to be a conflict mediator. But I, I would say Paul's probably pretty high on the list for sticky situations. He is in prison, awaiting trial before Caesar, which will determine whether he lives or dies on the charge that he has been a disruptor of the peace of the Roman Empire. So he wants to make a good case. He doesn't want anything that could possibly uh, Fuse his innocence. And then Onesimus shows up, who is a runaway slave. Now this complicates things because in the Roman Empire, it is against the law to harbor a runaway slave. You must return a runaway slave back to its owner. So he's got a runaway slave on his hands, and he's up for court. That's a sticky situation. But then 
another problem arises because Paul, as a faithful Jew, knows that according to the law of Moses, it is against the law for a Jew to return a runaway slave to his master. All right, so he's between the law of Rome and the law of God. And now he's also good friends with Philemon, so he doesn't want to hurt Philemon by keeping Onesimus, who has wronged him. But he has also become the spiritual father of Onesimus, and he doesn't want to send Onesimus back and send him into certain judgment. So what does Paul do? Here's his situation. If he keeps Onesimus, he has a charge of, of slave harboring on his docket. He's guilty in a Roman court, and he's a bad friend of Philemon. So if he does the other option and sends Onesimus back, he's guilty of the law of God, and he's not being a good friend to Onesimus. Is that a sticky situation? That's a, that's a pickle. Let me ask you something. Would you get involved in a situation like that? Would you mess with that thing? Or would you say, you know what, Onesimus, I think you should head down a block or two. See if there's somebody else who can help you. I really don't have the time for this. I really can't risk my uh, being involved in this. So please find someone else. That's not an option for Paul. Because Paul loves Onesimus, Paul loves Philemon, and Paul has been transformed by the gospel. What is the gospel for mediators? Imitate Christ. Paul takes in Onesimus and he writes this letter, and he makes three requests, which I think are absolutely brilliant. The first thing he says in verse 16 is, I want you, Philemon, to welcome back Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a brother. In short, I want you to treat him with grace, not justice. The second thing he says in verse uh, uh, 17 is, receive Onesimus as you would receive me, your dear friend. All that friendship, all that deep relationship, all that fellowship that you have with me, Philemon, I want you to see Onesimus as you see me. Look at Onesimus with the eyes that you look at Paul. And then the third thing he says in verse 18 is, if Onesimus has wronged you in any way or defrauded you, charge that to my account. Bill me for what he did wrong. That's a, that's a pretty brilliant three moves. Treat him with grace, not justice. Look at him as you would look at me and charge to him, charge to me what is uh, charged to him. Does that sound familiar? Have we seen anywhere else a person who says, I will take the penalty and I will give you my relationship I will take you from being under justice to being under grace. Paul is playing the role of Christ. Paul is being Christ between Onesimus and Philemon. Hmm. That's what Christ did for us. He died on the cross. He endured the penalty of our sin. He paid every last agonizing moment on that cross so that our penalty could be paid. And then he took and gave to us his perfect relationship, his righteousness, his beauty, his intimacy with the Father. And he said, God, I want you to look at this person as you see me. When you see so-and-so, you see me. And when his sin is brought up, it is canceled upon the cross. 
And so in Christ, we go from people under justice to people who are under grace, because that is what Christ has done for all who trust in him. So how do we mediate conflicts in the body of Christ? How do we act like Paul? Is it right for us to avoid conflict? Is it right for us to say, well, I know these two people who I love are, are in, this, in, in an argument, but because I don't want to risk my relationship with either one of them or I don't want to get involved, I'm going to leave it alone. Is that acceptable? Can we be imitators of Christ and look at broken relationships and stay out of them if we think we can help? Paul shows us what it means to mediate conflicts in the body of Christ. Again, it is on the basis of love. And there are four attributes of peacemaking that Paul demonstrates. First, he meet, his mediation involves truth. Nowhere does Paul dismiss the facts of the case. Onesimus has wronged Philemon. The answer to the argument is not overlook it, not forget about it. The fact of the matter is Philemon has been wronged, and that's not in dispute. That is kept there. Truth is preserved. The second thing we see, Paul has equal concern for both parties. He loves Onesimus. He loves Philemon. His desire is not for Philemon to secretly win and Onesimus to secretly lose or vice versa. His desire is for these two people in a broken relationship to be restored so that they would both have the relationship that pleases Christ, one that shows the love of the gospel. The third thing that we see Paul does is he involves himself in personal sacrifice. It's a risk for Paul to write this letter. Philemon may be financially supporting Paul. Philemon may be a good friend of Paul, and this is a probably something that is a sore spot for Philemon, yet Paul doesn't say, I'm not going to stay out of this simply because I want to keep my friendship with Philemon. He goes ahead and he writes the letter. And second, he puts his own purse on the line. He says, if money is the issue, let me pay for it. So there is personal sacrifice in the role of a conflict mediator. And lastly, we see that his mediation involves accountability. He sends a letter back with Onesimus. Onesimus has to go back to Philemon with that letter for reconciliation to happen. If he doesn't deliver the letter, there's no reconciliation. And then second, if you look at verse 22, Paul says, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope that I will be coming to you soon, which is to say to Philemon, when I get out of jail, I'm going to visit you, and I'm going to want to know how things turned out with you and Onesimus. So he gently provides accountability both to Onesimus and to Philemon. So my question as we look at the story of Paul, where in our lives, where in our relationships do we need to be like Paul and be a conflict mediator? Are there two people in your family that are not getting along, you love them, maybe your son and your husband, but they are not getting along, but you perhaps need to get involved. What, is the, the Paul, what does the gospel tell us that we need to do? Perhaps you have two coworkers, two friends, and you have the unique ability to lay your hand on both of them and bring the gospel to bear in that relationship. Is there some place in your life where you are standing between two people in conflict is it your time to imitate Christ and provide conflict mediation? So the last story we want to look at is the story of Philemon. 
And in the story of Philemon, we are going to see that the gospel transforms us from scorekeepers to forgivers. Now, put yourself in Philemon's situation. He's had a slave that did lousy work. He's had a slave that stole from him and then deserted him. And he's probably been on the lamb for more than a year. So Philemon, every time he sees the work not getting done or every time he looks at the checkbook and sees what's been stolen, he's thinking, that scoundrel Onesimus, that dirty, rotten Onesimus, and a year has gone by. If you had that relationship, how might you be feeling? Would you be angry? Would you perhaps be bitter? Would you welcome that person back? What if... All of a sudden, knock, 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 you open the door, and there's Onesimus, and he says, I'm sorry. Are you ready to forgive that person? Make it more personal. Who's that person that if I mention their name, you would become very angry or very distressed? If that person came back and apologized for the thing that they have done wrong to you, are you ready to forgive them? So what is the gospel for those who have been wronged? At the end of this request, Paul gently reminds Philemon that he has been a recipient of grace too. He says, don't forget you owe me your own life. Which is to say that at one point, Philemon himself was a runaway fugitive in the court of God. And yet when he received the gospel, he repented and he received forgiveness for all of his sins. As a recipient of grace, the gospel tells us we cannot be scorekeepers. How does the gospel change us from scorekeepers to forgivers? It's very simple. It teaches us this. It isn't our score to keep. It isn't our score to keep. Because if God has freely forgiven our enemy and welcomed him as a dearly loved child at the cost of the cross, who are we not to also welcome that person back with forgiveness and love? So what sort of forgiveness must we give? Again, it must be on the basis of love. And there are, I think, three attributes that Paul requests of the forgiveness that Philemon gives. First, it must reflect the new reality of the gospel. No longer treat him as a slave, but receive him back as a dear brother. That's in verse 16. Second, the forgiveness needs to restore the relationship completely. Philemon cannot just forgive 90% and hold on to 10% so he can keep a grudge for as long as it takes for his heart to get over this. He must forgive completely. That's what is meant when Paul says, if he has defrauded you in some way, let me pay for it. When this, when this thing is done, the books are canceled. You need to start afresh a new relationship with Onesimus. And the third aspect, the forgiveness cannot be delayed. In verse 22, Paul again says, I'm, I'm going to have that guest room. That's a clock. That's telling Philemon, don't just sit on this. Get over it. Get to where you need to get to to say, I forgive you. Now, we don't, I'm not saying that forgiveness is immediate upon an apology because sometimes the apology is something that we didn't even know about until the apology is made. 
But the point, the principle is, we need to do all that we can to bring our heart to a place of forgiveness and not rest in bitterness. We must get to a place where we can forgive. So as I leave the story of Philemon, where in your life are you like Philemon? Who needs to hear the words, I forgive you? Who do you need to be working yourself to a place where you are ready to receive their apology? As we conclude this epistle, Philemon has shown us three transformations of the gospel that brings us into peacemakers. It makes us real apologizers, it makes us conflict mediators, and it makes us people who forgive. The epistle to Philemon teaches us that the gospel is not just meant to bring us in peace with our Heavenly Father, it is also meant to bring us in peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want to leave you with two questions. Have you made peace with God? We are all like Onesimus. We all start this life as a fugitive on the run, and if we do not repent, we will be caught and we will be judged most severely. But the gospel news is Christ has taken your penalty. Repent, turn, and say, forgive me, I am a sinner. And the moment that you do that, you get a letter written on your own heart, not with ink like the letter of Paul, but written by the Spirit itself that says, you are God's beloved child. And when you come into uh, uh, heaven, you will meet God not as a judge, but as your beloved father who has his arms outstretched and says, welcome. My question, have you made peace with God? Don't delay. And second, so far as it depends upon you, are you living in peace in all your relationships? Who do you need to seek peace from? Who do you need to work peace between? And who do you need to give peace to? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your gospel. I thank you that in your gospel, all that we have needed to be at peace with you has been provided. Father, I pray that anyone in this room who is not repented of their sin, who has not accepted the free gift of the gospel, would stop running today, would trust in Jesus Christ, and would know the peace and forgiveness that your gospel warmly covers us with. Father, I pray that you would continue to agitate our hearts if there is somebody that we need to say I'm sorry to, if there's somebody that we can work peace between, or if there's somebody that we need to give forgiveness to. Father, don't let us quench that. Let us leave this room convicted until we make peace with who we need to make peace with. Father, let us be a pleasing aroma of grace to this world as we show that we are people not of, uh, who, who don't just live by justice, but who give grace and mercy, who say, I forgive you because I am forgiven. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.